Well, I consider him uh, to be one of, if not the best politicians, or was one of the best politicians in the country. And it doesn't really matter what side of the aisle you are on. People just simply like Brad Wall. And that's because he's normal. He's just kind of normal. He's real. And he talks a lot of common sense. And the thing I like most about him is he is unapologetic in his stance. He would have been hands down my choice for conservative leader. He would have smoked Justin Trudeau's butt. But sadly, we have no such luck because he is now in private life watching from the sidelines. Well, he was in Toronto on business today, which gives us an opportunity to ask him how he sees NAFTA unfolding and, you know, what he thinks Andrew Scheer needs to do to be more exciting than a bucket of white paint. And I say that in jest. Um, Mr. Scheer's not a bucket of white paint, but right now just kind of comes off as that. Is he? You know, he's just not an exciting guy. Not an exciting guy. Very good at what he does, but he's just not exciting. So what does he have to do to kind of liven things up. So let's ask him. Brad Wall joins me now. Of course, former premier of Saskatchewan. Mr. Wall, let's start with the elephant in the room that everyone wants uh, or is talking about. We've got just a few days to wrap up uh, and get something done on NAFTA. And we've got a government that says it's pleased and encouraged by by uh, the developments. Um, from the outside looking in and someone who's been in government, where are you at on this thing? Are you as optimistic as the prime minister? Uh, well, I... I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure about optimism because, I, you know, honestly, I think the uh, the Trudeau government started off on the right foot initially with NAFTA. They, uh, you know, they set up a bit of a, uh, a sort of a war cabinet committee to focus on it. They engaged all, all of us premiers to uh, work at the subnational level, and we were doing that. They engaged former Prime Minister Mulroney, uh, Derek Burney, uh, and so they were getting, I think, good advice. And then, you know, sometime about last summer, it seemed to me they 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 couldn't resist the temptation to get into the some of the virtue signaling that we've seen in the past um, from the government, and that can have an impact on something as uh, as sensitive as a trade negotiation with a volatile partner. And I, what I mean by that is, we started to be critical of the fact that about 35 of the U.S. states are right-to-work states relative to the trade deal talks, uh, carbon and climate change relative to the trade deal talks, gender issues. Uh, and I just think uh, it's very important they resist that temptation again, because I think that's when it started to go south. Uh, and it's why, uh, in part at least, why there was much more momentum to conclude a deal between the U.S. and Mexico instead of the U.S. and Canada. I mean, it's, it's quite strange, isn't it, Alec? We knew through the uh, U.S. campaign that the number one NAFTA target of uh, the pre- now president of President Trump, then candidate Trump, was Mexico in yeah. terms of the quote-unquote bad guy or the villain in NAFTA relative to the U.S., jobs and the, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the outsourcing of manufacturing, and somehow we got cut out. So I'm just, I'm just hopeful the uh, federal government resists its temptation to kind of get back into that, the, that sort of virtue signaling style of politics, and we better get a deal. Uh, and uh, I'm obviously, as every other Canadian is hopeful that that's the case, because it has been Imperfect to be sure, but NAFTA has been good for our economy by any reasonable measure. Well, it has, and and I think I get the sense that Canadians are in a bit of denial, maybe because it's just not in um, in motion. But any type of auto tariff, even for a week or a couple of weeks, that would be pretty devastating to our economy. Well, it would be, uh, and you see, I mean, the 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 parts of the Mexico uh, U.S. agreement that we're aware of after yesterday relate to the auto sector and. 
None of it is particularly shouldn't be problematic for the government or Canadians. One, you know, requires that uh, the countries are paying more than 16 bucks an hour for the companies and countries are paying more than 16 bucks an hour for auto workers. Check. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other requires an increased content. I think the 70 percent North American content uh, to sort of qualify as uh, sort of NAFTA products, for want of a better way to put it. Check. No problem there. Um, so, um, you know, I, I just think we need to be. Uh, very, uh, very careful here. It might well be that most of the matter has been resolved and the federal government is simply going to be asked to sign on to a template. These things have been negotiated without them at the table. And I don't know how they'll react to that, but um, the fact that they were not at the table, I'm, I'm not sure that had to be. Yeah, I, I tend to think that a lot of egos got uh, brought into this. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with uh, such an unpredictable guy, that that strategy did not work. On the flip side, you'll say, well, what would the opposition do? What would the conservatives do? Because they were in support of the prime minister and they're not really any different in what they're offering because both uh, Trudeau and Mr. Scheer, they both uh, they both support supply management, which is a big sticking issue. And Trudeau said today he's not taking that off the table. To me, that's playing, uh, you know, Russian roulette with the entire country's economy on an issue that uh, is favorable to a select few. You know, I have personal views in supply management that I've expressed publicly before. Um, we've seen supply management be a part of trade negotiations in the past, at least at some level. That was the case of the European deal that the Harper government concluded, or there was certainly discussions that that maybe may impact the supply management sector. And the commitment from the federal government at that point was there would be some compensation, some transition funding. As By the way, there's been sectors that have been uh, you know, dislocated, for, for, to use that economic term, with other trade deals, the Canada-U.S. trade deal uh, in the, uh, that preceded NAFTA, and governments were uh, committed to those sectors to help them through a transition time. You know, we have a we have in supply management a, a, sec, a, a, a reality in the Canadian economy that means that people on fixed incomes and low-income people that need staples, uh, food staples like dairy products uh, and all that, all the other uh, products affected by uh, supply management pay more than they otherwise would. Uh, and so I guess if, if both uh, Mr. Trudeau and the opposition are saying it's untouchable, then I guess it is. But if it precludes us from getting a deal and it's a policy that costs uh, people lower income and people on fixed incomes more for food, that seems like a, perhaps a bit of a strange approach. Yeah, and I guess we'll uh, learn if it was worth the price uh, when we find out if a deal can be done. I want to flip things, though, you know, to to the Conservatives, because you're now a politician on the outside looking in. It's nice. It's a nice place and a nice view that you can have because you're a lot more free to speak. If you were giving the Conservatives some advice right now, and, and I certainly have my views on the direction of the party, what would you be telling them? Because they just had their convention. I'm not exactly feeling very inspired these days. Well, I know Andrew Shear well. He's from my home province. He's actually originally from Ontario, uh, but grew up and spent a lot of time in Saskatchewan. That's the seat he represents. And, you know, people have underestimated Andrew throughout his career. Mm-hmm. At, you know, at their own peril, I think I would say that, for example, he was not supposed to beat Lauren Nystrom. Mm-hmm. He did that once and twice. He uh, was not supposed to win the Speaker's uh, election in Parliament was able to do that. Probably wasn't seen as a favorite to win the leadership. Uh, he was able to do that. So, you know, I, I, I think that um, Andrew's got a track record in sort of beating the street, if you will, in terms of people's expectations, and that's to his credit. But I, if I were to give some advice, and, I, and no one's asked me for any, to be clear, but if I were to give some, I would say just focus on the economy. 
Uh, you know, we need desperately in this country a government that is focused on the competitiveness of our economy, on serious trade relationships, uh, to have a look at things like uh, to, to withdraw things like Bill C-68, C-69, which will actually uh, complicate things further in the resource development sector. Really, the environmental process will be very, very cumbersome. And I think the rest of the world is wondering why we would make it more so rather than less so, given our track record to get things approved here lately. But I would just say focus on the economy. It's what pays for everything else. I mean, if some political parties are interested in social programs, what pays for those? It's just, it's the economy. Yeah. And what comes from a strong economy is a sustained tax base that can support whatever safety that people want. Quality of life depends on it. Uh, and, you know, just take a look at our last couple of budgets in this country. We've had a, a carbon-based budget. We've had a gender-based budget. <laughs> I would campaign. I would propose to Canadians to be a government that would bring down an economy-based budget. How about a budget-based budget? Yeah. Um, and I think that I would just keep it very simple and focused on the economy. Well, you know, I, I know that Mr. Shear has a lot of credentials. I hear nothing but good things about him. The problem in politics today is that, you know, you do have to have some kind of celebrity or some kind of act or gimmick to kind of catch people's attention. But why wouldn't they look to a guy like Doug Ford in what happened in Ontario and say, you know what, that's the strategy that we should follow. Um, have some convictions, show some leadership, and, and don't be scared to be a conservative. Because what I'm getting really tired of is conservatives always being so apologetic um, for what they believe in, frankly. You know, I think that's reasonable. I think that's pretty good advice, not inconsistent with what I what I just said. You know, uh, conservatives understand that you start with the economy. You start with competitive taxes, competitive regulations, competitive legislation that makes sure you're competitive, a good reputation internationally, a serious approach to trade. That's where they start. Uh, and from there, they can start talking about all the other things that that allows government and society to do if you've got uh, if you've got things firing on the same cylinder, but we don't. Yeah. And I'm from Western Canada. Obviously, we have an energy sector, as you know, that has lost between 30 and $40 billion in investment, not to other sectors, but to energy sectors in other countries because they don't have the unilateral methane rules that Trudeau's brought in or uh, carbon taxes or any B decisions midstream that killed Energy East. Uh, or Bill 68 and uh, C68, 69. They don't have these things that are really the cumulative effect of the National Energy Program. So be very clear with Canadians. Say we have a vision for a strong economy. We have a vision for uh, energy independence. We're going to build a pipeline to the East Coast. We're going to work with the private sector to do that. There's a number of very bold statements you can make uh, that I think can capture the imagination as you're talking about of Canadians. I think Canadians would like to hear from somebody that would say, look, we are not buying another drop of oil uh, more than we have to from Saudi Arabia. In other words, until we can get a pipeline yeah. uh, built or more than that to, to ensure energy independence. I think that sort of policy is consistent with the principles of the party and would, get, would grab the attention of Canadians. Well, you seem to have and it down pat, and you dog. seem to know what you're talking about. And so I have to ask the question because I call you the, the greatest prime minister we have yet to have. Um, you know that I would like you to run. You would have been my choice for, for leader. And I think a lot of people look at you as, why isn't that guy running? Are, are you completely done with politics? First of all, you're so very kind. Thank you for that. Well, that'd and, be a first. Uh, <laughs> I, appreciate, I, I appreciate that. But... Um, no, I, I am done. So I'm, I you know maybe co-host uh, a great <laughs> talk show, something like that. I might be I might be down for that. Perfect. Well, my mom won't be happy with you, but uh, I thank you for your time. <laughs> I'll have you on again, and I appreciate uh, you joining me. No, thanks for the chance to be on. Great to talk to you. That is Brad Wall.
That is Brad Wall talking a lot of common sense. And no, he is not running. I, sh- I sure, if ever there was a time when a politician lies, I hope he was lying because <laughs> I really do think he'd be uh, very good if he were the leader. This is Global News Radio.